we're going to be talking about food today. <laughs> and basically, the fact that in so much of Luke, the text that I'm focusing on today for the sermon is from Luke, which is one of the texts that is assigned by the lectionary. And, um, and so if you look through the book, you just see a lot of instances of shared meals or things happening around a table or food. Uh, one of my favorite food stories was um, talking about, you know, those recipes or those, that food that means something to us. One of mine uh, has to do with fish and chips in Boston. I lived in Boston, um, or the man I married and I. Yeah. I was thinking earlier about how you're speaking a little closer to the mic instead of trying to Okay, yeah. No, that's fine. I'm glad you interrupted. It makes me feel comfortable. So, um, fish and chips was my um, was one of my favorite foods in Boston. And fish and chips are kind of a big deal in Boston. There's a lot of pubs, and one of the foods you know you, they serve a lot in because uh, you're in New England and it's all like bay and the oceans right there is fish and chips. And so we had a friend, um, Matt. We had a friend who said he knew the best place for fish and chips in Boston. And it was this pub called Crossroads. And they only served them on Friday. And so we're like, all right, then we'll have to go on Friday. And so every Friday we would go. It was Matt, Jesse, the man I married, who's right there. Sorry to call you out, but but bye. <laughs> um, Matt, Jesse, and I would go and have fish and chips every Friday. And little by little, it just became this Friday ritual. and. You know, then, you know, we'd invite other people to join us. And next thing you know, like, we'd have a group of six or we'd have a group of 12. Sometimes we had as many as 15 or 20 people showing up for fish and chips on Fridays at this pub. And so we were always growing. The tables were always growing. First we had this table in this nook. Then we had the other table. Then we'd have to bring more chairs around it. Then finally we'd spill out to this outside the nook. And... And it was all kinds of people, you know what I mean? Because friends invited friends. And so some of us were in grad school and seminary. Other people were just, you know, our friends that we made at other places, the other pubs, other, um, yeah, gatherings and stuff. And, but that just continued for like years, really. And in one of those gatherings, you know, on a Friday, someone said, why can't church be more like this? And that question kind of set us on a course um, that I'm going to talk about and I'm going to come back to afterwards. So just keep that, you know, bookmarked. And so I want to take us to the beginning of Luke, the very first few verses. Whenever I um, reflect on the text or study it, I always print out the whole, um, the whole book because sometimes when we read like the scripture from the Bible, like it, it has, it puts us in a certain mindset because we think of the Bible a certain way and then, you know, it has headings and it's already kind of been, you know, demarcated in certain ways for us. And like it, sometimes we already have like, you know, uh, preset associations with certain texts and the way it gets like divided and stuff. But if you just copy and paste it, like if you go to like, Ormus, I think is the one I use, um, Bible.org, I think. 
I just like go chapter by chapter and copy and paste and then I print it single space and it gives you a whole different experience with the text because it's like now you're looking at it as one whole narrative. So even if I'm just talking about one little section, I always like look at the whole. So I wanted to look at the beginning of Luke and I think we have the verses, um, but I'll read them out loud. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those from who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So I want you to tell me what you notice. What stands out? What do you notice about the opening of the book? Mm -hmm. Right, so one person's, you know, preparing this for somebody else. What other words stand out to you? Oh, okay, yeah. Right, so there must be stories going around, right? There must be, you know, yeah. Yeah. Many have undertaken them, yeah. And so this is another attempt than an orderly account, yeah. So there's already a lot of storytellers involved in trying to capture these events. Yeah. Good, yeah, anything else? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Um, he is very intentional in what he's putting together, right? And he's investigated it and he's captured eyewitness accounts. Yeah. I also like where it says. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look the Greek up. So Hebrew scriptures. So it's the word as in trying to capture the whole of the, the gospel or the truth of God, the Lord. Yeah, so it's probably the reference to like, this is, the, this is what we've received from God, right? And so these were, um, what is it? Um, oh, the eyewitnesses and servants of the word, yeah. I also like that it says the events that have been fulfilled among us, right? Like this happened among us. It's not in some far off place or some unknown, but it's like among us, yeah. Oh, and then, so that you may know the truth. There's something there, right? So that you may know the truth. All right. So then, that's how it starts, right? That kind of sets the course of the book, and then you have, um, well, we'll get to what comes after that, actually. Um, 
we're going to come back to that. So now let's jump ahead to the text that was assigned by the lectionary for today, which is almost the very end. After these verses, there's only like two more verses, and that's the end of the Gospel of Luke. So this is right before the end, which I think is kind of weird. This is why I don't like the lectionary, how it chops it up like that. Like <laughs> and then you don't, get, you don't get the end of Luke until like two more weeks from now or something. They go to John next week. Um, all right, so, but let's look at Luke. 2436-49. So while they were talking about this, um, and we're going to talk about what they were talking about, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, I mean, this is like Jesus has, been, has died already, right? He was crucified. And, and then they already found the empty tomb, right? That already happened before, um, you know, Easter. Um, now, so while they were walking about, talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as, I, as you see that I have. And then he said this, he and when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> Isn't that funny? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I am, was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Remember the fulfilled at the beginning, too? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be pro proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised, so stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So we're predicting Pentecost. Um, so that's our text for today, right? So what do you notice in this text? Okay, yes, Alex. And still, they're, they're frightened, right? What's the word? Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, they're still frightened, and they still have doubts. Yeah. 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 
And, I mean, we'll get to this, but they just also ran into him <laughs> earlier on the road. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that for a little bit. But, yeah, so, like, so interesting. What else did people notice? What is stood there, out? Is there any Right. I think about that. I think that on the one hand, that was just what they had there. Then on the other hand, when he when he ate the basically the Last Supper with them or the Passover meal right before he was crucified, he said he wouldn't eat this bread and wine again until, you know, things were fulfilled, until like the the reign of God was fulfilled. And so I wondered if that's why he didn't eat bread in the story I don't know but I didn't look I didn't investigate that deeply but I wondered too yeah yeah no no it's all of it matters right it's a it's a narrative and like the author's very specific and particular about the parts of the stories to include so yeah that's the thing about the text the more we investigate it the more we discover and the more we get different perspectives yeah the richer it is anybody else notice anything that they want to say out loud All right, so, I mean, that was good um, in terms of there he is, right, with his wounds, with his hunger, and he's trying to alleviate their doubts and fears, say, why are you frightened, right? I told you these things. But I think it's easy to doubt in the good news, right? It's easy to doubt in the good news, especially when your teacher isn't with you, not in the way that you knew him before, right? even in the ways that it's predicted that the teacher will keep guiding you, when you don't have them right by your side, like it's easy to, be, to have doubts and be frightened. And so one of the things, and especially, right, after he's been dead, right, crucified. And so here we have, even though it was predicted, right, his resurrection, like it's how in the world do you believe in the resurrection, right? So we have this little clip um, that I'm going to show from someone, um, what Julie's going to show. Yes? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. In front of you. And then he goes, right after he eats, he goes straight into what he believes is there to tell him anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, now that we got your disbelief out of the way, yeah. now let's focus on what we're really going to focus on. Yeah. And well, I don't know. See, I don't know that it's let's focus on what we really need to focus on because I think that's really important part of the story, too. The fact that how do they believe? They need to have the material, like, confirmation. Yeah, right? The eating, that sharing of, a, of food is a really tangible confirmation. So I think, yeah, that becomes central. I think it's a little bit of like cleaning up for me. It's like there's nothing more special in life than sharing bread with someone, whether it's a stranger yeah. or anyone. You know, there's something yeah. that can change. Yeah. And so it's both, right, the teaching in, like, 
the, the spoken word and what gets shared like in, you know, in terms of like this, right, dialogue, and then the material, both. Yeah, we have them both here. Okay, but then still, it's hard, right? It's still hard to believe that. And so, because it's this idea of, of resurrection, right? Of some, but of. They always, their minds, that's the thing that strikes me about uh -huh. They open their minds to understanding of scripture. Uh -huh. And, and even you're kind of conjuring the previous story of the road on Emmaus. Yeah, well, let, let me just, there's probably a logic to how I organize this, but I'll just touch on that road to Emmaus, because just in the previous text, right, two of the disciples were walking along the road, and, you know, kind of this man comes along with them and says, you know, what are y'all talking about? And then they're like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? Don't you know what's happened? <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, they just, Jesus died, you know, and just, you know, and then the tomb was empty and everything. And then it, so they're walking along and then, oh, and then they're about to part ways because they, you know, go each go on their own way. And then they tell, you know, this man that's on the road with them saying, well, why don't you stay? It's getting dark. And so he's like, all right, so I'll stay with them. And, you know, they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is nearly now over. So he went to stay with them. Then when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished before their sight. Then he goes away. <laughs> but yeah, that recognition keeps happening around the food. This is what I'm telling you. There's something about the food. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, truth serum. Um, let's watch <laughs> this little video from Pete Rollins where he talks about whether or not he believes or denies, affirms or denies the resurrection. Thanks. Last time I was in Grand Rapids, I was speaking at Time. I do not serve my neighbor. Every time I walk away from people who are poor, I deny the resurrection. Every time I participate in an unjust system. And I affirm, and I affirm the resurrection every now and again when I stand up for those who are on their knees. I affirm the resurrection when I cry out for those people who have had their tongues torn out. When I weep for those people who have no more tears to shed. That is what we are trying to do. Substantive change. Thank you. You know, they always say you're not supposed to give your stage to somebody else, but um, how does he affirm the resurrection? Right? It's when he's there, standing with those who are suffering, right? He understands that. It's, it's there when he's sharing in the sorrows 
of somebody else who's just run out of tears. Um, he says, substantive change. And like, how, right? How does that substantive change happen? What does that look like? And so, you know, the Luke text gives us all of these different examples. If you just even flip it, right? Flip through the, the different stories and just see all the examples of what that looks like in terms of how Jesus lived his life with his, in community with his disciples, right? It happens so often around tables and around meals. It happens so often in the ways that he objected to unjust rules or to rules that were excluding people or keeping people from picking, you know, grain on the Sabbath. It's like if they're hungry, you know, shouldn't we pick grain, you know? If their hand needs healing, shouldn't we heal? Like, it's that tangibleness, right, that brings the resurrection to understanding. And it's a communal event. The resurrection is a communal event. Like, it's the business of community. Because even on the road to Emmaus, after they see who he is, he vanishes. He leaves it to them, right? And then when he shows up later and he eats the boiled fish, and, you know, he, he helps them understand and see and gives them the teachings again, the last two lines, I'm, I'm going to, what spoiler alert? <laughs> right, the last, the way the book closes is, then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. But like, he leaves them. It's like he's left them with the, the call to continue being the community that is the event of the resurrection. So the affirmation of the resurrection happens around tables and food and sharing meals and sharing sorrows and joining each other's causes for justice and peace. It happens when we take each other's burdens on. It happens when we bind together. That's what peace means when he says, you know, in our text today, when he, he greets them, peace be with you. That word, anyone named Irene here? That word is the Greek, it sounds like Irene, Eden. <laughs> and um, it means like bringing together, it's like this ultimate reconciliation. Um, so it happens when we come together. That's the peace be with you. And it's only when we give witness to the good news with our flesh and our bones that we make it real, that we become part of fulfilling that word. So going back to my fish and chip story, what was happening there was we ended up with a gathering of people, some of whom had had very kind of hurtful and hard experiences with church before. Just one, um, one friend was, um, you know, he was gay from Oklahoma, Nazarene, grew up in the Nazarene church, and it was just, 
you know, he struggled, right? In the years before he came out, it was just a really tough growing up. And then when he came out to his family, um, I mean, like literally his mom's heart was broken. Like she couldn't handle it. And she just wrote these long letters to him about how she had failed and she didn't know what she had done wrong. And so he just had all of this like heaviness and he's like, the church, there's no place for me in the church, right? There's no place for me in Christianity. There was no place for him in his family, with his, in, yeah, in his family. And so he was there, but in that community, right? In that sharing of the meal, in that gathering regularly and becoming, you know, people who shared each other's burdens, he experienced something that made him say, why can't church be like this? And the thing is that that is church, right? And eventually we ended up just claiming it. We started a church in a pub. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you know, that was, yeah. But um, we often think that the good news of Christianity is just about the son or just about the father. But the gospel is always a message that is located in community. That's really kind of what I'm getting from the word today. A message of community, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not fall just on the shoulders of one person, not even Jesus. You heard it in Luke, in the opening and in the closing. He hands it to the community. And even the gospel according to Luke doesn't start with Jesus. Do you all know that? Do you, remember, do you know what it starts with? It starts with references to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It starts with the angel Gabriel. It starts with Mary, who's referred to, you know, the virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. So it starts with Joseph. Then it starts with John the Baptist, who leapt in his mother's womb when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. Like, wombs were leaping <laughs> before Jesus, you know, even came into the picture. And then when Jesus gets baptized, I think it's like the end of chapter 3, we get a whole section in, in the Bible, like this long in Luke, that's just a list of his ancestors, a line of all the people that come before Jesus. All of them come before Jesus. And so I think what the text invites us to do is think of ourselves as being in that line, right? The possibility of being witnesses to the fulfillment of that word, that good news. And one of the ways I think sometimes Christianity and the church in general falls short of giving witness to the good news is when we don't properly celebrate the whole community. And when we fall into the pattern of elevating just one or just a few among us. But I like to remind us that before Jesus was his mother and Joseph and Elizabeth who's like Uriah and John the Baptist and the innkeeper and the barn owner and a whole line of ancestors that paved the way before him. We often forget that there's always a whole community of people involved in the incarnation and the resurrection. We make the mistake, those of us who call ourselves Christian, of exalting Jesus as if he lived and loved and ministered and died in isolation. But he didn't. 
And I think sometimes it can be comforting, right, to hope for that one that will come and rescue, right, that hero who will swoop in to make things better. But I think the call is on us to do that for and with one another. The resurrection is a community event. And so to lead us into communion, I'm going to start by, this, by offering this little poem um, that I adapted from Ella Renee Bozart, and then do a little bit, you know, then I'll, ba I'll read the, the kind of um, Passover meal words from Luke that Jesus shared um, that night before he was killed. So before Jesus was his mother, before supper in the upper room, breakfast with Elizabeth, before the Passover feast, the setting of the table, before his cry, her cry, before his sweat and blood, her bleeding and tears, before his offering, hers, before the breaking of bread and death, the extending of her body in birth, before the offering of the cup, the offering of her breast, before his blood, her blood, and by her body and blood, his body and blood, and whole human being. The wise ones knelt to hear the woman's word in wonder, and holding up her sacred child, her God in the form of a babe. She said, receive, and let your hearts be healed, and your lives be filled with love, for this is my body, this is my blood. And so at this table, let your doubts and fears be met and alleviated by community, by coming together in the peace and reconciliation that happens around the shared table, the practice by which we know that another world is possible. I remember what Jesus did with his disciples when he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kin kingdom of God. So he took the cup, and giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit and the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the loaf of bread, which Jesse baked today. And he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I say we just tear at the bread. I say take as much as you want. There's plenty. So whether you eat or don't eat, whether you drink or don't drink, you're welcome to this table and to come out to new life. How deep the Father's love for us Beyond all measure 
that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life i know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom.